Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. A bonus edition. Champions League quarterfinal recap. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, Andrew, I'm excited about this podcast. I just tweeted out this morning that we were doing it and, and, and it just it's lifted people's moods. It's lifted the mood of a nation, if I may go so far really? as to say that. Look, the the football over the last few days has been so energizing, absolutely energizing. And to not talk about it would have been well, I I, I go as far as to say a felony. All right, relax. All right, we're here. And yeah. this is it is warranted because these were some really fun days, the second legs of these games. Um Maybe it lacked a little bit of the drama of last year's quarterfinals, but then again, I don't know if anything could have lived up to uh, to right. what went on in some of those games, but it was still great, great stuff nevertheless. So we're going to get into uh, the way this all played out. I guess we'll do a, a bit of a look ahead as well to how the semifinals are shaping up. We've, we've been left with a pretty good Final Four here, I would say. Um, we certainly we certainly have, and um, it's been greeted uh, with not a, not a huge amount of enthusiasm, actually, but... but... Um, well, fo- just on football, we'll get to that. Just yes. on football alone, just on football alone. If you're not excited, particularly about um, PSG and Manchester City, then I'm not. I'm not sure you really have been paying attention. Well, right. Uh, yeah, I guess I should couch it by saying, like, what we've been left with are are four huge clubs uh, with, you know, however many gigantic names in this sport. Yes. Um, however, in the view of, you know, a lot of neutrals, we've to a certain extent almost been left with four villains. Yeah. Um, so, we, I, you know, I hope fans of these clubs don't take that as an offense, but I think uh, who cares they can they... understand that like neutral fans may not, may not see them as, you know, always super lovable. When, um, when you've been tweet, when, when the most, I'd say the, the, the most popular tweet I saw in, in the football sphere anyway, last night was, are Real Madrid the good guys? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Look, ultimately, for me, we'll get to that. Let's yeah. not let's not dwell on that right now because and, there, there, there's been joy. Yeah, let, let's start. And by the way, we'll get into a little bit of the Concacaf Champions League as well because uh, there oh, was some, there was some interesting action uh, over the past couple of days there too. It's been it's been some good days for for MLS clubs. So we'll talk about that before the end of the podcast as well. But let's start JJ with. Um, Wednesday's game between Manchester City and Borussia Dortmund as mm. Pep finally gets over that Manchester City quarterfinal hurdle as they go through. It was not, it was not easy for them. Uh, there was a period of time where there, where I would think doubt was probably creeping in once again, as it looked like a, a similar story was playing out for Manchester City, but then they awoke. Um, I was going to say in the second half, but really they, they awoke before that. I would say, well, in my view, JJ, the first 20 minutes, Dortmund played well. They got the goal. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, they couldn't get a second one despite applying consistent pressure. Then De Bruyne hit the post, probably somewhere around the 20th minute or so. And it felt like from that moment on, everything changed. And it was a lot of one way traffic, Manchester City's way. And even though they were trailing still at halftime, it felt, it really truly felt like that dam was going to burst at some point. Yeah, you text me saying pretty much that. Uh, we we exchange texts saying if City go out again, you know, we're definitely podcasting because this would be amazing. But the evidence wasn't there. No, you know what? 
the evidence was there that they go out. It's not like they didn't create chances against Leon last season and still went out. It's not like they didn't dominate the game against Leon and still found a way to go out. But they had that crucial piece of luck that you need in knockout football that they haven't had at all. And uh, when Emery Chan decides that he's not going to... The penalty incident, before, before we get into whether we think it's a penalty or not, it was the turning point in the game for me, Andrew. And I'm not going to focus too, too much on the penalty. I'm going to say, why don't you just boot it back the way it came? Like, why, why are you trying to do such... If you have to stoop to head the ball in that fashion, you're probably doing the wrong thing. And that was the key moment. City got that bit of luck because, you know, I, I do think it was a penalty by the letter of the law. So, uh, but they got that luck that Emery Chan did what he did. Uh, Mares converts the penalty. And so we have Pep Guardiola saying, saying things like this. Pep Guardiola must have been uh, ch- channeling your, your mindset this morning because he said pretty much what you've said in the, op- in the opening to this segment, Andrew. He said, today we broke this bridge from quarterfinals to semifinals mentally for all the club it was a big relief and so important because Guardiola really does harp on history Guardiola believes that ingrained in Real Madrid ingrained in Liverpool um, ingrained in Barcelona I suppose or used to be is this like aura of knowing how to win like I I, I mean look I will forever have Chiellini's (laughs) words echoing in my head It, it is the history of the Tottenham (laughs) <laughs> after Juventus beat Tottenham in the, in the Champions League. Right. So, but, but, but like teams churn, players come and go, managers come and go. Like Tottenham isn't the same club it was in 1996. Not, not even close to it. But apparently there's this muscle memory. There's this long-standing history that people like Guardiola believe in. And um, he believed that it was playing a role in City falling at the quarterfinal, although Pellegrini had taken them to a semifinal, mm, yeah. if, I, if I remember correctly. So I don't know. But, but for, for the Guardiola project, at least, it was a huge moment last night. It really was. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes maybe it takes relatively new faces who aren't quite so ingrained in that sort of history that you're talking about to yeah. help to help bring that about. And I look at someone like Phil Foden, who, you know, he's just 20 years old. He's not really thinking about any of this history. He's just kind of like at this age and in this form where he's just in the moment, scored the goal to seal it, scored the winner in both legs uh, of this quarterfinal. Um, You know, early on in the game, when, when I was talking about the tide starting to turn, like I remember city played in a ball over the top that I was sure was going out of play. And he, he raced to it and got to it right before it got over the end line, centered it back into the middle of the box, and it wound up nearly turning into a goal when Mares was stoned from point-blank range. Uh, he drew the yellow on Bellingham. Uh, Foden and, and Kylian Mbappe are the only players in Champions League history, JJ, under the age of 21 to score in both legs of a quarterfinal. I mean, this kid is, like, he's here. Like, this kid is ready now to be, I think, one of their key players going forward. I think, you know... He's gotten his chances in the past dependent upon other players needing to get hurt. Um, but I think now, I don't know how you take someone like him out of that lineup at this point. Well, you don't, Andrew, is the answer to that. Right. Uh, Duncan Alexander had a great tweet along those lines. I can't believe Guardiola came over here, carefully nurtured Phil Foden until he blossomed into one of the best midfielders in Europe. Where were his loan deals to championship clubs? And then his next tweet, we've got traditions here, Pep. You know, and it's so true. It's like, 
you know, um, give youth a chance and it will blossom. That's that's generally not the policy. You, you know, uh, the policy is you, you buy a player and then you send him out on loan. Mm-hmm. And like Phil Foden could have crumpled in the championship, the harem scare balls over the top, running into channels. But he, he didn't. He stayed around the squad. He, he learned the method of, of Pep Guardiola. And now he's an absolutely crucial player. Although I will say, I mean, how dopey and dozy were Borussia Dortmund on that short corner. I mean, it was straight from the training ground. It was really good. But like to leave Foden with all the time to set up that shot and to have the only thing between him and goal being Erling Haaland, who literally just stood there and only served to unsight um, the the Dortmund goalkeeper. Although it was a brilliant strike. Don't get me wrong. I was going to say Foden, like think of where he placed that for that goal to happen. He, you're right. Maybe Dortmund, you know, Haaland didn't even press. Haaland didn't do anything. He just stood there, you know? Um, I think, uh, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not raining on city's parade here, by the way, they deserve to go in over the, to go through over, over the two legs. But I have a question for you, Andrew, and you, you don't need to answer it. Actually, please don't, but just visualize it and tell me, is there a person, you know, in your life? who is your, like a friend, a solid friend, and you love them and you like spending time with them, but you can't rely on them. You just can't rely on them to do what needs to be done. Like say you're moving house and they say, yeah, 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 yeah. A month in advance that they'll turn up and help. And when the day comes, you get a text like in the morning. Oh, oh, got a headache. Oh, my girlfriend's mother has got diarrhea. Okay, oh, I, 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 I got someone in mind. Right, that's Borussia Dortmund. That is Borussia Dortmund this season. That is absolutely them. You look at how they played that that first half. Um, How did the goal come around? The goal came about by a fairly direct ball into a channel, which meant that Stones got pulled out to try and go with Haaland. The ball gets pulled back, and Jude Bellingham has like one of the best finishes you're going to see from anybody this season. Zero backlift, ball stuck under his feet, and he whips it into the top corner. I mean, what a brilliant goal. Why not do that again? You know, you've got this brilliant player, this brilliant young player who's strong, who really could be given the opportunity to run stones into the channels. Why they could like Dortmund couldn't even do what Leeds did at the weekend. They could they couldn't even do it. Um, you know, you've got someone like Dahoud that can play passes. Just be a bit more direct. Stop trying. To, it felt as if. I don't know how it felt for you watching it, but every time Dortmund tried to play through the City press, they'd get so far and then they'd cough the ball up and City were back on the attack. You know, even at 1-0. Do something a little bit different. And, um, yeah, when they went 2-0 up against Munich away in Bayern Munich, I never, ever thought they were going to win the game. I tweeted straight away, you know this is ending 4-2 to Bayern Munich. And Marco Rose's huge job coming into this club first thing is he's probably going to lose a bunch of players or potentially will lose a bunch of players. Um, they won't be in Champions League football. Um, but they're just, they're my friend uh, who is a soccer savant tweeted me the other day and he, he just called it right. They're the flakiest team. Mm-hmm. Even at 1-0, there was, there was no guarantee they were going to push on and finish City. I mean, look, how many chances did they really have in the second half? They had that header from the, uh, from the Royce free kick. Right. That was it, really. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of too many others. You're right. I mean, and look, everything you're saying is right. Um, But I also 
want to make sure that, you know, like Manchester city also made a lot of that happen. I mean, oh, they went, sure. they went down a goal. And like I said, around the 20th minute or so, they just kind of, they said, it almost felt like you could see the mentality change of no, like we cannot allow this to happen again. Um, I mean, De Bruyne yeah. nearly could have had a great goal in the second half when he dribbled through the Dortmund defense. I mean, you know, for for whatever we want to say about the lack of chances that we can remember from Borussia Dortmund, Manchester City really took the initiative and, and felt like they Andrew, could have had a few more. City were firing away the better team. Yeah, they just they just were, uh, and and um, and I think every you know, like how many times did we also see right towards the end it, on the attack? It was actually Manchester City marauding forward. It was Manchester City going for that third goal. Yeah, I'd um, you'd be very hard pushed to say there was anything really unlucky about this second leg for Dortmund, yeah. apart from the penalty. Uh, Dale Johnson tweeted about the penalty. The ball deflecting off the body onto the arm does not cancel a penalty if the defender's arm is extended well away from the body. Now, I, do, I personally, anatomically, <laughs> I don't know how Emre Chan makes that body position without the left arm being extended away from the body. Like how, how does he do that? Like, does he do, a, he has to do a little, I'm a little teapot kind of little tilt like that. If he's going to keep that arm, that right. left arm tucked in. So again, um, th- that was the little, gr- that was the little bit of luck city needed to, to get through. And I think, and you really, <laughs> I, I couldn't, I almost couldn't help but feel for Emery Chan. I mean, you saw before the penalty was taken, he had his head in his hands. Yeah. Like he, he clearly knew the gift that he had just given Manchester city in that moment. He was so aware of it. Uh, and I'm sure it, it killed him in the moment. It's probably, you know, here we are a day after I'm sure it's, this is something that he probably won't forget for a long time because no, they, sure. they had a chance. Um, one other note on this from the Dortmund side, talking about the negatives, the one positive that you, you did touch on uh, Jude Bellingham. I mean, at 17 years old, to score a goal like that in such a huge moment. Um, brilliant. I, I mean, Ederson got a, a solid hand to it, but I, I think that that if, if Ederson makes that save there, it's the save of the tournament. Uh, so I'm not going to kill him for not being able to keep that out. It's a great finish by a 17 year old player. He's now their youngest ever goal scorer in the champions league. JJ, you know, whose record he broke. Uh, Christian Pulisic. That's right. That's right. Uh, it, it's also so interesting, you know, of the United transfer sagas, of the past like decade where they can't get top quality young players to come to the team. Jude Bellingham has got to be one of the, the most glaring disasters for them. You know, you see what he's doing, you see the ability he has at 17 and they couldn't convince him to go from Birmingham to Manchester United because of the way the premier league is. They were afraid of, they were afraid of him being loaned out. They were afraid of him going missing. They were afraid of him maybe being Paul Pogba um, in Pogba's first stint at the club. Pogba left because he couldn't get opportunities, goes to Juventus and becomes the player we know. And now Bellingham is getting all this experience, age 17, in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League. And you, you, you look at him, Andrew, and you just his general play, um, you have to think that Gareth Southgate is going to bring him. You, you, yeah. You know, if, if, if you look at the weekend, if you look at it, if it's between someone like, you know, him or James Madison, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the it's not really rolling the dice but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Bellingham I'm bringing Bellingham. This before we move off of this game, what you're talking about with with Bellingham, his his decision to go uh, to Borussia Dortmund rather than staying a, a big club in the Premier League, it's 
it's a really interesting philosophical conversation about yeah. Dortmund and the way they choose to do things. I feel like there's, it's almost a gift and a curse in that they have become this like shining light of a club for every superstar talent under the age of 20. And right. that is a good place to be in because you will, you know, that these guys are all going to be incredible players, even at young ages. And even with the knowledge that they're not going to stay with you forever, I think Dortmund are comfortable in that because they make huge amounts of cash off of, off of selling these players to gigantic clubs. But by the same token, you know, the things that you talked about with Dortmund, they're, they're the flaky friend. You can't rely on them. Is that in some ways a product of having so many youthful players on the team that maybe don't have that experience yet of knowing how to win against the Giants, against Manchester City or Bayern Munich, you know, that, right. that have rosters full of guys that know what it takes to win. Like, will they always be just good enough to be relevant at this stage of this competition, but never quite experienced enough to break through it? Oh, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Andrew. They exist in the nether zone. They are neither fish nor fowl. They, they are just there. They exist. They've become this almost like finishing school for European football. Uh, look, at, look, look at the names, right? So, you know, Holland is probably going to move on this summer. There's probably no probably about it. It depends on who can generate the finances in, in this COVID uh, restrained world. Mm -hmm. But Andrew, Jude Bellingham, Gio Reyna, all moored for one season more, at least unless Marco Rose can get them straight back into the Champions League next season when he becomes manager. Um, that's that's a that, that's a situation. So potentially, let's look at it this way: say say Bellingham Reyna, um, and I would think maybe add to that list a Hood. Maybe they go. Mm -hmm. You're left with Hummels, veteran, yeah, Thomas Delaney. Um, players like that. There's, there's Marco Royce. Marco, uh, yeah, Marco Royce as well, but so injury prone and in his thirties, in his early thirties. Um, so there's, there's a rebuilding job about to happen at Dortmund, and and, um, and yeah, I think they're going to occupy that position as a finishing school for, for quite a bit longer. Um, can I just bring before we move off this game? Can I just bring up one thing? Yeah. Um. So amongst the what we're told are the main suitors for um, Erling Haaland, Manchester City probably topped the pile at the moment from the European tour that that team Haaland did. I, I think the vibes we were getting was that top of the list is Manchester City. But I wonder, does Pep really want him? Because last hmm. night, last night, he started a team where you probably say the most advanced central attacking player was Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, Foden, De Bruyne, Mares, Gundogan, Hernandez, and Silva. Out of that six, who's the striker? Who's the center forward there? You know, on the bench, Raheem Sterling. On the bench. Um, well, let me ask you a question. Gabriel Jesus. And, and, and you saw how limited Haaland's impact was, partly because they couldn't get him the ball in the right positions. But we all talked about the things he doesn't do when he when he's not you know bearing down a goal about to release a thunderbolt is this a player that pep guardiola would would want but why is it that you think city were playing that way like some of that is maybe out of just happenstance or circumstance no, like no, no, no. if he yeah. had a player at that position of that caliber something tells me he would find a way to make it work he's a brilliant manager but but like, I, right now aguero is is not a factor Gabriel Jesus sort of is what he is. He's fine, but I think right. 
Pep doesn't feel a need to force him into a lineup. If you've got one of the preeminent strikers in the league, I mean, the best version of Manchester City in their, you know, in their glory, which they're still to a certain extent in, but, you know, it was with Aguero. I, I mean, like they've shown an ability but, to but thrive. Even, but, Andrew, but Andrew, even with Aguero, who, I mean, think of the, the pain. Like, think of when Pep Guardiola arrived. Who, no, actually do it this way. Who is the player that was most linked with a move away from Manchester City throughout the Guardiola years from the minute he arrived? Sergio Aguero. Who is the player who had visible on-field rows during substitutions with Pep Guardiola coming off the field? Sergio Aguero. You know, Pep Guardiola is not tied to the idea that every team must have a center forward that just puts the ball in the back of the net. Well, He's I'll tell you been- this. I'll tell you this right now. He's opening himself up to an unbelievable level of criticism. If he decides, if, if they, if Holland, who every club in the in the world covets, wants to go to Manchester City, and Pep says, "No, I don't think we need a central striker." Okay, I, you've made I your think, bed now. I think he go. I think he will go anyway because don't forget, Pep doesn't make all the decisions there. You know, Ferran Soriano is going to look at it, and what's he going to say? He's going to say, "Fine, but I'm building for." beyond the Pep years. Pep's not going to be here forever and Erling Haaland is 20. So this is a striker someone's going to find use for. I, I, it just it popped into my head, that's all. And, and comparing and contrasting everything that Kylian Mbappe does compared to the things that Erling Haaland does. And I guess I it would just that- surprise me if City were willing to embark on an era where they, where they felt like they didn't need a striker. I can yeah, see okay. that happening here and there over the course of the season to change things up, but in terms of the base of your team, that would be, especially like if you want to talk about De Bruyne being that guy, you know, how much longer is he going to be capable of filling that kind of role? I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just talking here. No, we're I know. Just but, talking, and we're chatting. Yeah. But you know? I think you want me to just say, yeah, good idea. No, Don't get I, him. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm Pep brain in it. I, you know, I'm, I'm working through it with Pep's brain. So you believe though, that this is the last time we'll see Holland in the champions league. Wearing the black and yellow. Um, I, can't, I, can't, I can't see the scenario. I can't. Let me look at the Bundesliga table. You know? Okay. Uh, while, while you do that, should we move on? Yeah, look sure. at another Bundesliga team. The defending champions are out. PSG eliminating Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. Um, a, a couple thoughts from me out of the gate on this one. Uh, I kind of wanted to talk about Neymar for a moment. Now, I, I know he didn't wind up scoring in this game, um, but it was it was an incredible performance. It was disgraceful. It was a it was a really poor and bad performance, according to Peter Schmeichel. So (laughs) that's sort of what I want to talk about, because ultimately, look, uh, I don't I don't know Neymar. I don't know him as a guy. Uh, I know there are certain things about him that people don't love tendency to dive you know, his flash sometimes rubs people the wrong way. Uh, here's what I do know about him as a neutral fan. He is simply amazing to watch. He's the goods. It's undeniable. Um, and like, I, I was thinking about that in the aftermath of, the, of that game, just like, cause I saw the Schmeichel comments and it just didn't like, it just didn't jive with what I felt like I had just seen from him. And I feel like that's a story that's happened before where like we, we, we've talked about this before. Um, and so I just happened JJ at that point to, uh, I was on the athletic looking at stuff and I saw a headline from Jack Lang who 
was clearly thinking the same thing. And the headline from his story at the athletic said, seriously, what is it that makes you hate Neymar? Right. And it's, it's a funny story to kind of read through. I mean, some of it is, is like tongue in cheek, but he is clearly of a similar mind that like he, where he almost wants to take like a figurative Schmeichel, like put his arms around all of these people who are sort of of that mind and shake them and be like, can't you just understand what you're watching here? Like, can't you, like, can't you kind of put some of the other stuff aside and, and understand that a performance like that in a game like this, of this magnitude, like that, this is fun. Like there is an insistence for people with him specifically to relentlessly harp on the things they don't like to the detriment of all of the joy that this guy does bring to the game. Uh, and I know that there are things specific to Neymar that that will cause people to do that. Like his his flash, for those of a certain generation or, or of a certain mindset, people are just always going to have an issue with it. And look, I also don't discount the fact of the club that he's doing it for. You know, PSG, in, in the eyes of many, are a villain club. And so he's the face of that club, and he yeah. plays with a certain flash. And so you put those two things together. Oh, he's on this flashy club. Look how he plays. He's trying to embarrass players out there. Yeah. So I, I understand, I guess, that people are going to want to view him in that light. But man, I don't but, know. I feel like if that's where you're dug in, then you're you're kind of missing a, a fun show right now. Right. But let's just deal on what our eyes saw. You know, at the, at the at, at in this game on Tuesday, right? You and I were both annoyed and spoke at the last World Cup. Was it against Costa Rica in the group game where he gets clipped and he does seven or eight rolls like and it became the Neymar role and it started trending and everyone was rolling. Right. OK, now he he does do that. But Peter Schmeichel said, well, you never see uh, he, Peter Schmeichel. I'm paraphrasing now players of a certain standing. They don't act like that. And he name checked Ronaldo oh. and Messi. What are you like that? Just, you know, the worst examples you could possibly come up with. They don't they don't dive. They don't roll over. Ronaldo doesn't go down like he's been taken out by a, by a sniper. Stop. Don't want to hear it. And, but, and the other thing with regard to that is, look, Neymar, he does do that. Yes, it's it's undeniable. We've seen him do it. But the thing is, like he is factually one of the most fouled players in the world. And that's not from a diving perspective. He is teams make it their business to hack him over the course of the game. Think about the world cup, JJ, Colombia broke his back. You know, he was forced (laughs) to leave that tournament prematurely in Brazil with a broken back. Like this is how teams, this is their approach to him because they can't contain him any other way. And and another point as well on it. Um, He's a ball-carrying player. He travels with the ball. If you watch League On at all, if you just tune in just to see what's happening, he gets hacked regularly because teams know we have no chance against this team. No chance. But if we get at him, if we wind him up, maybe we do. Maybe we do. But this game was not an example of that. There was the, there was the moment with Hernandez in the box where he tries to con the ref. He grabs Hernandez, the blind side of the ref who couldn't see it, grabs his jersey, flips over, pulls Hernandez to the ground and then turns around looking for a penalty. Okay, fine. I've been watching this kind of stuff for 30 years. You know, this, I'm, I'm completely in, what's the word, uh, inured or uh, numb to it. You know, it does happen and sometimes it can be egregious, but I've seen some of my heroes do it too. I can tell you when Steven Gerrard took the dive for England against and- Andorra, Andorra. Right now, that is actually somewhat shameful. Yeah, 
Okay, so can we just admit it's a part of the game? You don't like being conned by it, but nobody is a worse offender than the other. Man, maybe some are, but it's still a part. It's endemic in the game. The conversation about getting diving out of football is one of the oldest conversations I can remember. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I remember watching the first um, the first time Spanish football was on TG Cahar, which is the Irish speaking, um, the Irish language speaking channel, and they they bought rights to Spanish football and commentated in Gaelic Irish over it. Amazing. And I saw things in those games. I was like, of course, what of course. is he doing? And, and by the way, I, I don't want people, I don't want to give the wrong impression here and say that I'm cool with diving. No, uh, like no, everyone but, else, I hate it. It's an ugly part of the game. But what I'm saying is I'm not going to allow that to take away my enjoyment of watching Neymar play. Yeah, right. I, I, and look, it's it seems to be a battle with PSG right now between, <laughs> between uh, loving watching them and then also self-loathing and hating ourselves for doing that more yeah. of which and on but like um look at the chances they created on the night some of them were works of art and Neymar was right at the center of it Neymar could have had four goals in this game I know. The, 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 the chance that sticks out for me and that was like right we're definitely doing a podcast Mbappe on the left hand side clips a ball over to Di Maria who just oh what a turn just skips by the player finds this this like this crack of light and centers it, and Neymar is what oh, half a, like a millimeter, yeah, a millimeter away from scoring. Like what a goal that! It would have be. been so good, and, and so like good. I, it felt like Neymar was trying to live out his own like crossbar challenge. <laughs> like he, he hit the crossbar on a beautiful curled shot, then he hit the post shortly yeah. after that. I mean, he was he was a joy to watch. The, the one line to kind of put a, a bow on the Neymar portion of this that Jack Lang had in his in his piece on this. So he lists, you know, he goes through the reasons like we just did of, of why Neymar maybe is viewed by some the way he is, the diving, the showboating, the club he plays for. And then he closes with this line that I think he nails it. He said, would Neymar be more popular if he still played for Barcelona? Very possibly. But then he'd also be more popular if he stopped taking defenders on, abandoned the playground levity, reeled in the self-belief, stopped being Neymar, essentially. Maybe that would placate the critics. In the meantime, the rest of us can keep enjoying him for the sublime, luminous talent that he is. I think also uh, I pre- presence on social media annoys people. Um, when they see him, like, you know, he comes with his tattoos and he's walking around his mansion and he's, you know, singing songs and doing all the stuff that kind of people in their twenties do that I did. And he's bleaching his hair and he's, you know, shaving it a little bit and, you know, all that stuff that, that all accumulates and, and, and solidifies into one big ball of envy and hatred. And it, um, and, and I've been guilty of, of it myself with him, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't enjoy watching him, Di Maria. And again, Mbappe. I mean, as a whole, the game was it was it was about as watchable of a game as you can get certainly of a one nil and we're talking like psg won the game i mean they were beat <laughs> um they were really the, the game that some from the from the byron perspective the moment that kind of summed it up for me was um leroy sane right at the end when uh, he he turns the substitute backer inside out and it opens up and if he drills it hard enough or lifts it hard enough, he can find, um, Mar- I think it was, it was it Martinez Mar- at, at the far post. Or I can't remember who was the, the, the player. It doesn't matter. And he just does this dribble, this weak cross that Navas can actually dive on. It's moving so slowly. That was it. Him and Kingsley Coleman, their performance on the night summed up Bairn, who were just so blunt outside of Chupamoting's goal. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because you can't help but hear a sentence like that and then think about who wasn't playing for Bayern in this but game. But I, I think the game for him to be playing, I think if 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 uh, if Lewandowski plays against 
PSG in the first leg, it's seven nil or seven three. But think couldn't. of all the space and the chances that Bayern had in this game and their inability to, to finish this, on so I, many of them. This game actually, I can't say that he wouldn't have got on the end of one of those cross shots that went to no one. I can't say that. Of course I can't. But I always, when I think about where he was missed most, it was that first game. Bayern are going through if he plays in the first game and, and even if he skips the second that's just a fact. You you replaced Chupa Morting with him for the first game. As good as Chupa Morting has been, he's not... Scored in both legs. Yep. No, he's not... You can't ask for too much more. Yeah, well, I, I mean... It's it's insane to me that Bayern lost the first game. You know, or conceded as many goals as they did in the first game. Insane. Um, they should have scored so many, more, so many more of their chances in the first game, and ultimately that's what cost them, because they were blunt in this second one. Yeah, but the idea of Lewandowski not being there, I mean, especially against this club in PSG, think of all the times that Neymar has had to miss key Champions League fixtures, and we certainly don't lend any sympathy to PSG in those moments. So this no, is, and, this is no, part of the deal, unfortunately. No, and, and, and you would look at that Bayern team and you, you, think about the, you think about the players they had on the field. Um, again, Coleman and Sané kind of summed it up. How many times did you see them come on, cut inside, Weak cross goes nowhere, go out the outside. Like Sani had a chance in the first half. Remember, and I should give him credit, Chupa Moting has this lovely flick and Sani is through mm-hmm. right on the edge of the box. And it's just this weak effort past the post. Um, his finish, Sani reminded me of, you, you know, in, in a song, there's the classic moment you're all waiting for. Like in Radiohead's Creep, it's the guitar crunch. Imagine you replace that with a sad trombone. <laughs> Think about how that ruins the symphony. And that was Sané. Like a lot of good work. And then just the cross or the finish was just way off. And that was the game. Yeah. And it's PSG going through back into the semifinals uh, once again. Uh, JJ Liverpool and Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, Nil-nil. And Liverpool go out, I suppose, rather meekly, not scoring a goal. Um, I think the fact that they got to half time, that's such a strong, energetic, pressing, uh, really good first half performance and indeed second half performance too, in many respects. Uh, but they didn't score in the first half and they needed to do that. If the remontada was to be revived, like the remontada against Barcelona uh, two years ago, they needed to score early and they didn't do it. Um, I also feel like there's Liverpool fans watching that game would have been quite numbed by the whole experience. It's amazing that Liverpool put in a performance similar to what they did against Burnley, similar to what they did against Newcastle, against Real Madrid in the Champions League. There was an awful lot of, you know, possession of the ball, particularly in the second half, half chances, nothing clear cut. Um, I think if Firmino scores just after half time. When he breaks through, forces to save at the near post from Courtois could have been different. But you can't look at that game and look at it in in a vacuum, Andrew. It was eerily similar to a lot of what we've seen from Liverpool since after Christmas. And um, they come up short and Madrid over the two legs definitely deserves to go through. And you think about the week that Real Madrid are having. Um, they where they beat Barcelona at the weekend to climb, I mean, right back into the title race to the point where they, they might be many people's favorites at this point. Then midweek, they go to Anfield yeah. to see out a Champions League. I mean, they're here they go. I mean, this they're is both, like back to being the Real Madrid that we've kind of known them to be in the last decade or so. And I think we have to now, um, 
Uh, someone tweeted that Zidane has been described as so underrated that he now becomes a rated manager. I mean, it's crazy to think. But, you know, when he left Real Madrid uh, the, f- the first time after the, the three Champions Leagues, what was said about him? Well, what was said was, you know, he had Ronaldo in his prime, Benzema in his prime, Bale in his prime, Modric in his prime. It was a collection of players he inherited and he just let them at it. Well, he doesn't have those players now. In fact, those players are aging or gone. You know, look how good Modric is still at 35. He's still getting a number out of him. He's getting a number out of Casemiro and he's getting more than a song. He's getting a full album out of Benzema. So maybe look at the tactic. We talked about it on Tuesday's podcast. If you want to listen to the tactical things he did to beat Barcelona in the Classico, um, maybe it's time we start giving the bald-headed one a bit of credit for being a good manager. And then finally, JJ, Chelsea survived against uh, FC Porto. There was not a ton of action over like the first half or so of this. I think neither team had a shot on target through... I'm trying to remember what minute it was. It, it was it was a while. All uh, the action was distilled into one bicycle kick at the end. <laughs> um, but it is Chelsea who survive and are back into the semifinals, JJ. And uh, I, I, look, I know we 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 talk so much about Christian Pulisic on this podcast, and some people probably roll <laughs> their much. eyes at it. Yeah, it might it very well might be too much, and yeah. maybe that's something worth considering moving forward. However. Um, <laughs> His performance in this game, I, I think, does bear mentioning. He drew 11 fouls on this, was named man of the match. I think that's now three times in the last two weeks he's been named man of the match for Chelsea um, in a game. Yeah. Um, it's been, the 11 it's been fouls. a pretty, pretty remarkable turnaround for him, basically since the international break uh, when he went away with the U.S. He's, he, it feels like, you know, with the hamstring issue aside, which turned out to really be nothing, uh, he's kind of been a, almost a revived player since then. Um, maybe we're just a bunch of hysterics. That's probably part of it too, but this, but not without not without warrant. I mean, no, we we our, our main our our main concern is not that he's not good enough. Our main concern is the fibers, the right. fast twitch fibers of his hamstring. But I mean, if I could distill it into a sentence for everybody else, this is how I feel. Everyone else is fully fit player who posted team leading attacking stats last season. Takes time to return from injury, struggles a little bit, but when he does, is very good again. That's Christian Pulisic. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the way, just on, on the 11 fouls, that's the most recorded by a player in a single Champions League game for the past five seasons. So he was targeted by Porto as a player that was going to hurt them. The stat that I had seen with that, the 11 fouls that I saw was the most in a Champions League game since Messi in 11. That, that would be in 2011. Yeah. That's five seasons, isn't it? That's more than five seasons. What year is this? Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Sorry. I am not good at math. All right. Don't ridicule me. I'm numerically bad. Okay. No, uh, five seasons. Well, I got that from Squawker. Hmm. Maybe they're squawking incorrectly. But anyway, it, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a huge amount of fouls. When, when I watch him play, I mean, first of all, I saw people tweeting um, memes with like Eden Hazard watching Pulisic and thinking that it's him, uh, like the, the Spider-Man meme, like, yeah. you know, pointing at each other, yeah. like the way Hazard was just consistently fouled over he and over a bit again. like that, except Hazard has crucially, I think, a stronger trunk. Uh, 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 you know, Pulisic still seems a little, a little frail or weak, whereas I remember a game, was it Belgium v. France, the semifinal, and Hazard is just using his buttocks to hold off like two defenders. Right. No, excuse me. Remember that great goal he scored at the bridge against Arsenal? Where I can't remember who the defender was. Was it El Nenny? <laughs> was the midfielder comes after him and he just he holds El Nenny off with his arse. 
It's it's just amazing mm-hmm. and goes on and, and scores a great goal. Anyway, yeah. that's me remembering his buttocks. <laughs> but I, I know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, Pulisic, he has that quality about him. Mm. Um, you know, where it, it feels like at some point, whether it be for Chelsea or for the US, you, you feel like he's going to draw a, a crucial penalty in a crucial moment somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, he's just that kind of guy who's just difficult for defenses to contain, especially in the box. Um, but yeah, props to them. And now Chelsea are into the semifinals, JJ, with a matchup against Real Madrid. It, it's an interesting matchup. Real Madrid have the most semifinal appearances of any team in Champions League history with 14. And Chelsea now, with this, move ahead uh, of all English clubs in terms of semifinal appearances in the Champions League with eight. They have the most yeah. ever. Think about, I was thinking about this today. If you look at the, the how storied Manchester United are as a world club entity, they dwarf Chelsea. And yet we could be talking by the, by the end of this Champions League final, if everything goes right, Chelsea will have two Champions Leagues in less than a decade. And they will only be one Champions League behind the the powerhouse, one of the powerhouses, if not the powerhouse of English football, Manchester United. So, so. this is the fi- this is the final four that we have, and, and it's going to be uh, the first legs will be over April twenty seventh and twenty eighth, and then the second legs will be May fourth and fifth. PSG mm-hmm. and Manchester City will meet, and like we just said, Real Madrid and Chelsea. Um, they're two. They're two really good matchups. I think everything I'm seeing from both like the uh, the SPI as well as Vegas odds. I think right now Manchester City are the favorites. Uh, yes, to they, win. They, they seem to be. I don't just um, mean win over PSG. I mean to to win win the whole this thing. competition. Yeah, yeah. It's the PSG Manchester City matchup is just it's just amazing to me because you know you've got Stones and Dias. Ruben Dias versus, you know, the elite attacking unit in world football probably right now. That is that is mouth watering. What's Pep going to do? How is he going to configure that attack? Is he going to play a striker? You know, what's it? What's that midfield going to look like? Uh, did, when you when you <laughs> this game is absolutely mouth watering. Now the response to it has not been mouth watering. The response to the four, uh, as we alluded to, the the four teams that now make up the semifinals um, can be summed up. Colin Miller, the um, journalist who uh, writes about Spanish football. Champions League semifinalists, clubs run by Qatar, UAE, a Russian oligarch, and a club seeking keynote investment from Saudi Arabia. The beautiful game. Um, a friend of mine tweeted, again, uh, again I refer to the soccer savant, um, he tweeted, is this the most odious final four we've had in the Champions League in a long while? So there's a lot well, of in terms of how they're in terms of how they're built, maybe, but yeah. in terms of what we'll see on the field, uh, you know, if, if you're able to put that stuff aside and just enjoy the game, I think well, you, people will enjoy it. Well, you are, and you always have been. Um, and I've been thinking about, you know, for, for people who, for people who do struggle with this, um, who struggle with either what this money, you know, the PSG city and, and, and Chelsea really kicked off that golden era of, of petro petro dollars. Um, if they struggle with it, you know, what, how, how do they get around it? They focus solely on the football, I guess is what you have to do. And, and there is a lot of joy to be had there. I mean, you know, my feelings about PSG and the way they've been built in Manchester city and the way they've been built, um, you know, there's always been financial doping, as Arsene Wenger said in football, and we, we talked to him a bit about that before Christmas. But this is on a on a different level. This is, I mean, Manchester City, the club as we know it now, has been built in a decade, just ten years. 
we're 20 years out from when they were in the, what was it? The league one chat division two championships, the, the current league one, you know, so it's, you have to reckon with things like that. You also have to reckon with, with the human rights records of, of both States um, on the PSG Manchester city tie, you know, though, that that's a difficult place to be. So I'm going to enjoy the game and I'm probably going to make a donation to human rights watch. So you will watch the game and then you will shower off the whatever filth you're you're feeling from having enjoyed what you watched and then you will make it right financially well i heard someone talking about oh it's not the footballer's fault i mean it's not you know we can talk about how complicit footballers are in this and going to clubs where they know are owned by states that have that do dreadful things to their people um but but the the way it's going to work for me is yeah I'll watch the game yeah I'll enjoy it yeah I'll I'll talk about it I'll I'll luxuriate in the skills that I will see, and then I'm going to do something positive and I will make that donation to um, Human Rights Watch. I'm going to need what to else? see a receipt. You you'll see a receipt. Okay. I will um I'll post it out there no problem. But uh, but yeah it's it's tough for us as well because um it's not tough for us. Why did I say that? It isn't tough for us. We're going to enjoy the game. It's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. And our lives are going to go on. I mean, you no. Know, look, I don't want to sound like some rube. Like I, I've been critical many times of, of the way some of these clubs are run. And I, of course, I understand why it is that so many people see this and, and maybe think, you know what? I'm just not going to watch. Um, I mean, ultimately, when I'm watching this sport or any sport, I'm just, I just kind of love the game. And you're very good at it. Ownership is just not really something that I'm, I'm thinking about when I'm like these guys, like, I don't think, I don't think kids grow up, you know, being like, I can't wait to one day bring a trophy to the, the Emir of, of Qatar, you know, like I, I <laughs> no. just, I think they love, you know, ultimately when you're growing up, you kind of love the game and you want to see it played in the highest level. And I think we're going to see that from these teams and I think as an, as neutral fans, I, you know, I, I think people will enjoy it. Um, I'm not certainly, uh, I'm not being critical of anybody who, mm. who refuses to watch or, or yeah. hates what we've been left with here. I understand that. There will uh, be lots of people like that, but there'll also be people like you who will just say, all right, the football's on and it's going to be really good. And I'm going to watch it. And, um, and that's just, that's the place. That's the place. The majority of people will, and will find themselves. And also it's worth stating if you are looking for like a moral high ground in modern European super club football, you might you, struggle. You kind of have to leave the top tier of leagues if, yeah. if that's the way you feel. I mean, I would imagine, you know, the championship or, or below, I mean, how far down do you want, do you need to go before you can well, kind of like feel clean? With you've, what got you're watching? Like, you've got clubs like Forest Green Rovers and Forest Green and what are they league one or league two? They're building a, a sustainable, eco-friendly stadium. You know, we've talked about it on the pod. It's it's made of wood. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, you have to go down the leagues. You really do if you want the purity you seek. Yeah. Uh, in terms of this, the last thing I'll say on uh, with with respect to PSG, you know, we watch them uh, over the two legs against Bayern Munich, and we see how how great they can look. We see the star power. Um, and maybe for a second there, I see Manchester City are, are favored to win the whole thing, favored to yeah. beat PSG. That's interesting. And, you know, look, I mean, look what PSG just did to the defending champions. But then you think that PSG are chasing Lille right now in Ligue 1. So it's like there is a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde with that club. Now, I think, you know, their goal is this competition. 
at yeah. all costs. So, you know, if we're going to see the best version of PSG, we're more likely to see it in the, in the champions league this season than we are in league. Uh, but you know, there's, I, I'm sure there is a fair amount of tape that Pep can dig up from the yes. domestic season and, and understand, okay, what are teams doing to them in, in the French league that has caused them to falter. Andrew, look at the first leg against Bayern. It's Bayern Munich got at, got at PSG in a big, big way. And, and Pep will be pouring over that tape for sure. Yeah. Um, so like we said, more Champions League, UEFA Champions League action commences on uh, April 27th. That is the first legs of the semifinals. We move now, JJ, back across the ocean where the CONCACAF Champions League was also taking place. And it has been a good few days for MLS. Atlanta go through. Portland are, are through in emphatic fashion with the yes. 5-0 thrashing. Yimmy Chara with a hat trick. Uh, I think it was his first ever multi-goal game for Portland, and he picked a pretty good time to do it. Um, and then last night, it continued with the Philadelphia Union getting off to a, a – it was it was a tense first 45 minutes. And then, I mean, you can only say that it was – a in terms of Union history, it's a pretty legendary seven-minute stretch that they went through from the 47th to oh, the 54th sure. when they get – the Fontana, yeah. Fontana draws the penalty. Montero converts. Shabilko's header. Fontana then with a goal, and that's good night, Saprisa. Montero added one more for, for good measure. What a game for him. Two goals and two assists. By the way, can I just say on the, on the fourth goal, Andrew, I know it's a mistake that's a, from Saprisa that sets it up, but the way he took the goal, remained on his feet, kept his balance, and slid it home. That, that was a consummate finish from the, from Montero. Yeah. And once again, you know, we, we talk about their, their commitment to their plan and their way of doing things um, and their youth Academy. And, you know, you wonder, okay, Aronson, McKenzie, these guys are moving on. Do they have what it takes in, in reinforcements to, to make up for that? Yeah. And we started to see it last year. Anthony Fontana got a chance uh, and you could tell that he was a player and now he's been thrown right into the fire and he's making the most of it. Like I said, he drew the penalty and he scored a goal in this, you know, the, such a huge game for him and for the club. So, uh, the, yeah, the Union do march through. They will face Atlanta next in an all-MLS quarterfinal. And then really, J.J., I would say the result of the round for me, um, this was what Toronto did to Leon, um, defending Liga MX champions. This was an epic moment for a club in Toronto that have – really been a part of a series of epic moments over the last several years. But, you know, this game, this tie in particular, doesn't necessarily result in a trophy. But I feel like this is one that they should remember for a long time. To do that, to get this win against a really good Liga MX side, and to do it, JJ, without Chris Mavinga, Jonathan Osorio, Josie Altidore, Ayo Akinola, and Alejandro Pozuelo. Four academy players got the start for them. They all came up big. I mean, what about... The, the ball that Jacob Schaffelberg played in for Patrick Mullins opening goal. I mean, uh, and then players like Michael Bradley at 33, turning what, back the clock. He was brilliant in this game at both ends. What about Luke where he Sim. needed to be? What about yeah, Luke? Yeah. Sim. He was one of their Academy guys. Yeah. 20 years, uh, 20 years of age playing at center half. Brilliant. Like, and, but, and also brilliant. too, I mean, doing it in, in Ralph like, Preso, 18 years of age. Yeah. And like, not only are they doing this, but they're doing it in, in Florida at their quote unquote home ground. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, this, this was, this was an epic moment. I, I really believe for Toronto FC to have done this. I think, I think it was too. Am I allowed to trigger some of our listeners with a tweet? Can I do it? You, you wouldn't be you without these moments. So now, sure. 
first of all, let's lay down the ground. This is not some guy on Twitter. This is Keith Costigan, who, if I, there's very few people know U.S. soccer, U.S. club soccer, MLS, know the game in general as well as he does. And I would say also, you know, through his work with Fox, through his work with the Sounders, I've never heard him say something daft or something where I go, oh, Keith is way off base there. Um, this is what okay. Keith Costigan You've set it up properly. Yeah, no, I have to Here's because JJ going not... to work. Michael Bradley was outstanding tonight. Led the midfield press, used the ball well. A leader. Okay, as I've said before, if guys don't rate him, it says more about if if you guys rather. I think there's a word missing there. If you guys don't rate him, it says more about your knowledge than his ability. Top player, one hundred emoji, one hundred emoji, one hundred emoji. So, just putting it out there, just saying that Keith is going beyond saying he played well last night, which he did. If you watch, even if you just watch the, the highlights, you can tell. Um, Keith saying that if you haven't rated him in the past, um, then maybe you don't know what you're talking about, baby. Well, I will say this, and maybe this will further the triggering. Um, if Keith Costigan is triggering people with that tweet, and he most assuredly is. I don't think he's necessarily triggering the two of us. No, I wouldn't say that at all. I'm not saying. I mean, look, Michael Bradley, we'll see once we get around to the Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying what exactly his role is for the U.S. I don't know no. what his role will be going know. forward. And if, if he doesn't have one, I, I can understand it. I don't know that I would fight for that. Um, but you know, the tide we've always said turned against Michael Bradley, not now, but years ago. And you and I always, Lightning rod. we, we had always said Josie. that, that we always felt that people were, were off base um, in kind of just making him the punching bag for whatever they felt was wrong with everything with us soccer. So, yep. I mean, Keith goes all in there. That's for sure. Oh, he doesn't. He, yeah, he, he doesn't just limit it to this um, to this game. But like, I w I wouldn't ha I wouldn't like to guess how many man hours of football, of Michael Bradley football, Keith Koskin has watched over the last 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. All of it, three quarters of it, a lot of it. I mean, okay, it's a, it's an opinion there. Yeah. Um, five of the eight quarterfinalists are from MLS, Andrew. So I can no longer say saying the. These aren't the best teams. I can't even sing who are these teams because the Mexican clubs are represented by Cruz Azul, my beloved Cruz Azul, Club America, and uh, Monterey. So I can't even go, wait, who are those teams? They are not champions. So um, maybe I have to retire that song. Things are going to be very spicy. Yes. Very, very spicy. This is going to be much wa must-watch soccer. Am I wrong for thinking that this competition is is growing in stature? Nope, you're not. You're not, and they don't like need that. To... Th that my like care of this tournament has uh, me personally has gone, and people will say, "Oh, it's just because the union advanced." I swear. Well, I mean, we. <laughs> that's not true. I, I don't know how to prove it to people that that's not true. It's probably true. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I, I really feel like the, this competition is is like upping a level. Upping because you're in. The last eight. Um, yeah, no, I, seriously, I think it is. I, it's this lovely mix of what you've got going on, especially on soccer Twitter, is you've got American kind of 
self-loathing and fear and also needing to be reassured that we are good and that our club game is moving in the right direction versus the total like contempt <laughs> contempt and also fear that we are getting good at soccer from everybody else in central in the central american region and you know so when that comes together you get like tackles like you get you got last night because there were some tasty ones in again from yeah. Saprisa. um and you're going to see it again crew be under no illusion. Let me just speak. I won't speak for Cruz Azul or Monterey. I'll speak for the Club America fans. And and the like I would say Club America is one of the best supported clubs in this country, never mind Mexico. Club America will be absolutely looking down its nose at whatever opponent they get. They they will be expecting if it's an MLS opponent to batter them to death. That is the view. So that that makes things um makes things interesting. It's a nice little uh, little element to these games. No, it, it does. It makes these games fun. There's a clear rivalry, not just between teams, yeah. but leagues. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it, it's added something and it's it's fun. Uh, that is about all I have for this bonus podcast. Yeah, I just got two stories I want to quickly do uh, okay. with you, Andrew, if you don't mind. Uh, you're going to mind one in particular. Uh, front page of the Daily Mail, uh, pretty much the lead story, not pretty much, the lead story under a picture of the recently departed Prince Will, uh, Prince Philip and his uh, young uh, grandkids or great-grandkids. Um, in bold lettering, PM lobbied by Saudi prince. Boris acted on personal plea from Bin Salman over axed 300 million football club deal. Now, now it may be back on. This is an exclusive by Simon Walters. Boris Johnson intervened in a Saudi bid to buy a top English football club after he was personally lobbied by its crown prince. Mohammed bin Salman urged him to correct and reconsider a wrong decision by the Premier League, which was accused of blocking a £300 million uh, sterling takeover of Newcastle United, emerged last night. The angry crown prince warned the prime minister last year that Anglo-Saudi relations would be damaged unless it was reversed. Mr. Johnson asked senior number 10 aide, Lord Eddie Lister, a Middle East expert, to take up the complaint. Lord Lister said he would investigate. Now, the Saudis withdrew from the Newcastle deal last July, obviously, blaming the Premier League, um, to much to the chagrin of Newcastle United fans. But this is, this is a stunning story, really. Um, should we be surprised? Uh, it's just amazing to me that the, um, the sovereign of another country uh, contacted the, the head of government in the United Kingdom to intervene in a private affair, a private matter, in the Premier League. Can that be simultaneously amazing and not surprising? It absolutely can. Okay. Because that's yeah. kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, front page stuff, Simon Walters breaking the news in the Daily Mail. And the other story I wanted to get to, Andrew. I which see you, you already love. smiling. <laughs> so uh, this morning, as we slept here in America, Dulux became the official paint uh, sponsor of Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Eh, turned a little bit. Oh. Uh, so they had their iconic fluffy uh, sheepdog, English sheepdog, at White Hart Lane, bounding around. Uh, the tweet was tweeted out by Tottenham Hotspur, and immediately the trolling messages started on social media. However, the new sponsor, Dulux UK, and their official Twitter account decided to join in. So Chris replied to the tweet, from Tottenham Hotspur that Dulux was their new sponsor. 
can the dog play center back? Julux replied, he might do a better job, Chris. The official account of the company that had just signed a partnership with the club. Decides to troll. So maybe, okay, okay, maybe that's just a lighthearted one. (laughs) Ha, 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 laugh emoji. Oh, no. Uh, And then another Twitter user said, time to paint that trophy cabinet. Julux responded from the official Twitter account with the meme of the empty trophy cabinet for sale with the Tottenham insignia on it. This is stunning. (laughs) They need to be fired immediately. And finally, Daniel Levy needs to like, whatever their (laughs) partnership is, it can't be that important to the, to the sustainability of the club. He need, this is his time to make a statement and fire them. And let's get Sherwin Williams in there right away to replace them. Benjamin Moore, come on down. All the paint companies. Let's bring them all. Let's crush this company. Deluxe. Uh, And Dulux, they weren't done there. Now, it's worth noting they subsequently deleted all of these tweets. I'm pretty sure uh, they realized who was up. Was the admin drunk? Like, what were they thinking? Uh, Finally, uh, another account from from Ireland uh, uh, replied to the official Tottenham Hotspur tweet about Dulux said, paint the dusty trophy cabinet. Wink. (laughs) <laughs> and Julux responded, don't be silly. Surfaces should be dust free before painting. Has to be fired. <laughs> this can't, this, a statement has to be made. This is the most Spursy thing in the history of Spursy things off the field, at least. This is up there with Lasagna Gate. It is. You get a sponsor on, they say how proud they are. You take pictures at the ground. You let their iconic dog run around. And the next thing, their social media joins in. Don't join in. I don't know what else to say other than they must be fired. And all of their competitors need to come on as sponsors of the club. Oh, it's nice to end the show on a funny note. We're laughing. Oh, aren't we? Well, that is about it, JJ. Uh, Lots over the weekend still to take place. Actually, the uh, the weekend begins early. A big one, I guess. I mean, Tottenham and Everton in, in another one of these low morale cups uh, that will be played tomorrow after on Friday uh, afternoon. Uh, surely... The low, the low morale cup. Yeah. Sponsored by who? Who would sponsor something like that? Maybe a tissue company? Low morale cup is brought to you by Kleenex. Yeah. Wipe away those tears. The sun will come out tomorrow. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess surely the loser of this game, their season is over uh, in terms of Champions League qualification. Even even a draw, I think, might end. At least it feels like it might end both of the seasons for these teams. So whoever wins, uh, still on life support. But I guess yeah. quietly, it's it's a big game for two sad clubs right now. Uh, hey, this was fun, man. Bonus podcast. Oh, bonus. P- bonus. P- P- by the way, we got, got an email um, uh, from someone who wants a birthday shout out, but their birthday's next week, so I can wait. But they just said they'd love us to do a pod three times, four times, even five times a week. Mm, a daily. Um, yeah. Could you imagine? We'll run Michael Barbaro right out of the industry. Yeah. See you, Michael. Nerd. <laughs> well, hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Paint you later, Julux. Ask her Sherwin Williams. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 